Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone, this is your host Kelly from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today's story was shared at our Memphis gathering by Margaret, who happens to be one of the leaders on the Storytellers team serving in that city. Since childhood, Margaret battled the pressure of perfection, feeling a need to always present herself as a steady, reliable, dependable person who has it all together. But whenever that picture of her was challenged, particularly by motherhood, shame and loneliness crept in. As I'm sure many moms will agree, the unpredictability of parenting can sometimes push us to our limits and stir up anger. But it's through this struggle with perfection and control that Margaret came face to face with who God made her to be and who He really is. Margaret's story is a reminder that as human beings who never outgrow our sinful nature, we are limited, but the God we worship is limitless. Here's Margaret. All right, thank y'all for um, being here today. I have to say one of the advantages of being the storyteller and living in the same house where it meets is that I have gotten to sit, I spent a little time in this stool by myself in this room, just like sitting here and telling myself like, you're gonna be okay, you can you can sit here and do this. So um, it's actually much more fun to look around and see your faces in here. Um, and gosh, y'all, if I needed any sort of confirmation or affirmation this morning as I was um, getting ready, I got two pieces of unsolicited um, encouragement from my family. One of them was, um, you know, Margaret, don't try too hard and just try to have fun. And then the other one was, you know, Mom, every time you try to be perfect, you get really bossy. So just <laughs> don't do that. And so um, you will hear in my story that that is, it affirms everything I'm about to share with you. That, um, <laughs> These are real issues for me, but um, just I know I don't know everyone in this room, so I wanted to give y'all just a little bit of background. Um, I am originally from Birmingham, Alabama, and I've lived here for about 14 years and grew up in a really happy home. I have two really loving parents and two older brothers and a bunch of friends who are like family to me still who I keep up with really, really closely, and I'm just so grateful for my time growing up in Birmingham. I look back on it with so much fondness and nostalgia. And, um, you know, I think there was a sense to my whole life growing up of just constantly asking this question of trying to figure out, you know, who am I and where do I fit in and what makes me um, special? And, you know, it was always really easy for me to look and see who I was not. Um, Like if... You have ever played a hand-eye sport with me. You know that I have no hand-eye coordination. I am not athletic naturally. Um, School was something I always had to work really hard to do well in it. I wasn't naturally um, very intelligent. And just the way God made me, like I don't have a super 
um, peppy, outgoing personality. I remember, you know, I was always on the sidelines of the football games, watching the football games while all my friends were out on the field, you know, dancing and cheering. And um, that just wasn't my personality. And um, the things that came more easily to me were being more of just a laid back, easygoing, um, agreeable, dependable, reliable person. And so I think from a really young age, I kind of created this picture of, okay, well, this is a person who is easy for me to be, and people seem to really like me when I'm this person. And just a sense that God is really pleased with me even when I can live up to being this picture of this person. Um, so I went to Vanderbilt for college, and I think I sort of carried this along with me. And my four years at Vanderbilt were really, really hard years. As soon as I got there, I started struggling with all kinds of eating issues um, and struggled with them throughout the four years and really didn't know how to talk to anybody about it the whole time I was there. So it was something that I kept secret and hidden. And, um, you know, outwardly, I was a member of the cutest sorority. And by my senior year, I had four roommates who I lived with. Um, but inwardly, I was dying inside. I was so lonely in my struggles and, um, again, just didn't know how to talk to anybody about them because when I looked around me, everyone was beautiful and brilliant and thin and carefree. And I just remember always thinking, like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I be like them? You know, why do I feel so heavy and burdened all the time? Um, and through that, um, through a series of events, I ended up at RUF and ministry on campus, uh, second semester of my senior year. And the one night I showed up, the pastor spoke on loneliness. And the way that he defined loneliness was how um, he said loneliness, or he said Vanderbilt is the loneliest place I've ever seen. You all are surrounded by people, but no one actually knows you. Like you do not know how to. Uh, be known and live in community together. And um, I felt like he was speaking into my soul and just went right up to him afterwards and was like, you just explained my life. Like, that's exactly where I am. And I had, you know, grown up in youth group and been a counselor at Christian camps and all this stuff. But I really did not understand what it meant to be a Christian um, until that point. So even though those are kind of sad years for me to think back on, I'm so grateful for what the Lord did in my heart through that time. Um, and one other thing in writing this story that I saw kind of in my background is uh, there's this real thread of like independence and self-sufficiency. I can look back and see, um, even from kindergarten, I would have my oldest friend over and we would go to the refrigerator to get a drink out. And my parents were awesome. We had every sugary soft drink, you know, imaginable. And I would open the door and I would say, okay, do you want Coke, Sprite, Dr. Pepper, you know, Sunkissed, whatever. And she'd be like, well, I don't know. What, what are you having? And I would say, no, I don't want you to get what I want. I want you to choose what you want. I don't want, I don't want to be copied. And this just continued on through, I would go to a summer camp and people I knew would end up there and I would leave and go to sailing camp. And then I went to Alaska to backpacking camp. And then I was just constantly jumping. I remember coming home from Alaska and I decided to stop shaving my legs. Okay, I was in high school. This was not cute. And we wore those really short shorts. And I just thought like, this is who I am. Yes, like I'm listening to Indigo Girls and I'm not shaving my legs. And I think I slept in my sleeping bag on my floor for a while. Like I was just really searching, I think. Um, and then even more recently, y'all, after I became a Christian, I remember 
traveling. I was installing medical software. That was my first job after college, and I would travel and. Um, I got really into Joyce Meyer. I don't know if any of y'all have ever listened to her, but she has this really short hair and this deep husky voice. And just, I would listen to her from like 6.30 to 7 while I showered and got dressed for work in the morning. And um, she would just say things like, you know, there's nothing that's going to come your way today that you and God can't handle. And like, you got this. And I was just so drawn to her message of strength. And I would just leave feeling like, like yes, I've got this day. I'm going to tackle this day. Um, and really just loved, you know, something about her, um, confidence and boldness. Um, and through all of that, I was still a human. And so there were so many ways that I was not measuring up or living up to this person, this picture of this person that I had created. And, um, just two quick examples. One, so I've basically quit everything I've started my whole life because I was so afraid of not, doing things perfectly. So I ran track for like a really short stint. Some of y'all know this story. <laughs> and um, I was running the 800 and I was actually a pretty good runner. So that's just two laps around the track. So I ran one lap and I ran past my team and everybody was like cheering for me. They were so excited. And I was like, yes, you know, but as soon as I got past them, I started to turn the corner and started having all these thoughts of like, oh my gosh, my body's so tired. I'm not going to win. I can't do this. And Rather than being able to like push through that moment, I took a sharp right turn off the track up into the woods and went and hid at the soccer fields. And it didn't take many minutes before all my friends, you know, my track friends ran up and found me and they were like, what happened? <laughs> like, where did you go? And um, this story has been humiliating and hilarious, but um, now it's kind of sad when I look back on it. It's like I had no concept for... Uh, or no category for not being perfect and not living up. And so my only choice was to escape. You know, I just had to get out of there. And um, just the last one, because it's going to tie in later, is when I was, I think A and I were engaged, and I was driving to Memphis, and I had a sob because I had to have this sob because it was, like, different than what everybody else had, and it was kind of outdoorsy. And I was driving it up to Memphis, and some lights started coming on on the dashboard, and that's like, I'm just a big fan of like restarts. Like, okay, I'll just restart the car when it gets to Memphis. I'm sure all the lights will go out and everything will be fine. I'm just going to keep driving. Well, more and more lights are flashing on as I'm driving. And naturally, all of a sudden, you know, power steering goes out. The car breaks down. I'm on the side of the road. A has to come down 78 and pick me up and take me home. And my car is towed back. And uh, back to Memphis. And the next day, A and I were sitting in his parents' den and that's when the dealership called and they were like, um, you know, ma'am, it appears that you have not had an oil change in 25,000 miles. <laughs> so like, if you do the math, I missed eight oil changes. Um, and you know, of course my first thought was, how am I going to tell my parents? Like, you know, again, this picture of this person who I felt was a worthy, lovable person. I had so missed the mark and failed. And um, I crumbled. I mean, I just completely turned into a puddle right there in the den and have since learned that A's mom and brother Norfleet were in the next room. And um, he, <laughs> he overheard this happening and he looked at her and he was like, what is that noise? And she was like, well, son, that's the sound of a girl crying. Like, you know, they grew up in a house of all boys. So 
Um, but I just truly had no, no um, way to cope with not being this perfect person who I had defined. Um, and those are just two examples of a million of the ways that I was not living up. But um, fast forward, A and I got married, and um, it wasn't until we'd been married seven years that we had Katie. And I had been working for Team Trek this whole time, who I still work for today. And it was pretty easy for me to have Katie and kind of get back to being this person, being this dependable, reliable, have-it-all-together person. Because I think in my mind, I thought, you know, as an adult, and especially as a Christian, like, I've got to have it together. Like, you know, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to really, like, have it all together and um, be somebody who can manage everything perfectly and never make mistakes. Um, And so that was pretty easy after Katie. And then four years ago, we had Sam. And um, I just want to say it's really fun for me to look around and see so many people who know and love my children and who know that they are so hilarious and full of life and way more outgoing than I am. Um, Because this story is really a reflection of um, the sin in my own heart and some ways that the Lord wanted to refine me. And he um, just chose to use them in that process. Um, So when we had Sam and I had two kids and I was trying to get back to work, it was like they weren't fitting into my picture. They were getting in my way of being this person. And the best way to paint a picture is just to tell you about what our mornings looked like. It was like I, um, I feel like I woke up every morning and I fight this today still. You know, and my first thought is like, how can I get these people up and fed and dressed and out of my house as quickly as possible (laughs) so I can get back to me, like to my life and being this person? And this just came out in a lot of anger. And as this laid back, easygoing person, I had never known anger in myself. Like I had pictured myself being this laid back, fun mom, you know, and I was raging at my kids every morning. It was like, You know, I was just constantly pushing people, and I mean, I remember after breakfast would be over, and then my two-year-old would want milk, I would just sit there and be like, I don't have time to get you milk anymore. You missed your chance for milk. Like, we're moving on. Somebody needs help tying their shoes. I was ticked about it, and I wanted them to know that, like, you are inconveniencing me right now. Like, I don't have time to help you. Like, I was just not okay with my kids being kids, really. I did not have room for them in my life, and I was plowing over them um, just to get them out of my way. And I remember I would get them to school and drop them off, and I would come back to my car. And, of course, I was always early. So by the t- after all that yelling and rushing, I still got them to school early, you know, because I'm always punctual. And um, I would get back in my car and just be filled with so much shame and guilt of, it had almost been like an outer body experience of like, who was that person who just this stormed through the house and ran over everybody? And I mean, A would every time this would happen, he would sort of look at me and be like, "Are we? Are we okay? Can I help you? Should, do you want me to make breakfast?" And I'm no, I got it. I'm fine. Like I don't want your help, you know. Um, but again, that same question it reminded me of college of like what is wrong with me? Why can't I be like all these other moms who I see who look so contented and happy and I am just struggling. Like, why am I such a, you know, monster? 
towards my kids. And I would take it to the Lord and I would repent and I would ask him to change me. But it's like day after day, it was just the same tapes were replaying and I couldn't make it stop. Um, and this, I ended up um, asking a pastor's wife at our church to go to lunch with me, Scotty Kane. And um, at lunch, I was like, I need your help. Like, I am really struggling with anger, and it is all coming out on my kids, and I cannot make it stop. Like, I am just losing it, and I don't know what's going on. And um, she really listened to me and taught me a lot about anger. And she was saying, you know, Margaret, your anger is stirred when something you love is like threatened or blocked. So what are your kids getting in the way of, you know, that you were trying to get to? And, um, you know, I remember her saying, you don't want your kids to spend these short years of their life feeling like they were constantly in your way. And I just so appreciate how seriously she took what I shared with her. She wasn't like, this is no big deal. Every mom feels that way. You know, she was like, you need to examine your heart. And um, the Lord, you know, gave you these exact children for a reason. And um, you need to spend some time with him on this. And so I went home and was really challenged. And I feel like the Lord taught me a lot of things. But the first thing that he started really teaching me about was identity and seeing how like we are all layers of so many people. We are um, daughters and sisters and mothers and wives and roommates and friends and um, church members, you know, we have all these layers to our identity and there is an order to those layers. And like whatever you prioritize is sort of what you're putting your core trust in. It's kind of how you're defining um, who you are. And I could so easily see that like no one was going to get in my way of being this person. Like if you tried, I was going to plow over you. I mean, and I was so convicted of how off my identity was. And that was really the first time I, I saw that. Um, and at the same time, as I was learning that, I was also doing Bible study fellowship for the first year. And um, I'll just say I had done several years of um, book studies and small groups and stuff. But really to be in a study where we're studying God's word versus just like talking about God has just been so life-changing for me. And um, we were talking about the book of John, and this week we were talking about John 10, which is sort of where the Lord's talking about being our shepherd. And I have always, you know, loved God as my shepherd. It's brought so much comfort. I think I kind of picture like that Sunday school felt board picture of like God with his staff and his beard, and he's holding the sheep, and he's taking care of it. You know, it's comforting. But that's really not how this package, this passage was unpacked that day. We really started out talking about the nature of what it means to be a sheep. And, um, you know, a lot of the words that were used were that sheep are needy and helpless and defenseless. And they are hopelessly dependent on their shepherd to take care of them. And um, as I thought about that over the week, I mean, I, I do not, I still don't really like those words. Like those words were words like needy and helpless that I had fought my whole life against being. Um, yet they still totally resonated with the truth of who I was and what I was seeing. They um, rang really true inside. And uh, this, you know, I feel like the Lord kind of used that to start teaching me about how he is our creator and, you know, in the same way that 
cars are built and designed to run on oil. Like it's just a fact that a car needs oil. (laughs) You know, God was teaching me that like there is a divine design of how he made humans. Like he is the creator and we are his creatures and he made us to need him. And he made us with limits. Like he is limitless and we are limited. And I was not... Again, I I don't like having limits. Um, And so I had been just every time in my life where my limits or my brokenness was exposed, it was like I felt this need to conceal it or cover it up like it was some weakness. And the Lord was telling me that, like, no, this is how I designed you. Like, I want to live in relationship with you. You know, growing in your spiritual life and growing closer to me is not becoming more independent and stronger and having your act together more. It's about being more and more dependent on me, letting me be your shepherd more and more. And, um, you know, this realization that, you know, who God is and that God is not asking me to be who he is, um, has brought me so much freedom and joy. And, you know, I think that I thought that I would outgrow my sinfulness as I was growing up, you know, that I would outgrow being a sinner in need of a savior. And I was like, what's wrong with me that I can't outgrow this? Why can't I get my act together? And he was just saying, no, like from this side of heaven, like you were always going to be a sheep in need of a shepherd. You were always going to be a sinner in need of a savior. And he delights in being that for us. Like that is how he made us. And, um, you know, just, I love Mark two seventeen how it talks about like the well have no need for a physician, but the sick and how Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. Like that just made me realize that, oh my gosh, he came for people like me who don't have it together. Like that's who Christianity is for. Like, you know, all these ways that I was living in shame of not measuring up were actually, you know, exactly what qualified me to be a Christian. Um, and, uh, so this has really transformed my life in so many big and small ways. Um, and, you know, I'll say that like moments in my day, and I'm really looking at just sort of my ordinary day that normally trigger so much shame, uh, moments where I don't measure up, where my brokenness is exposed, um, used to just, again, prompt all those questions of what is wrong with me and why can't I get it together? God is transforming those moments into moments of true just confession and admission that like, Lord, I ain't got this day. I mean, so long to my Joyce Meyer, like I am going to go tackle this day mentality. Like my new morning motto is like, Lord, I ain't got this day. Like I need you. And I'm so glad that you hold all things together and you don't ask me to hold anything together. And um, that was just a huge switch for me. Um, And so every time, you know, when I am trying to get out the door and have a hundred things to do and I lose my car keys or I, you know, yell at my child because they need help tying their shoes because they're like two years old. (laughs) Or, you know, every time I fail at writing a thank you note or delivering a meal or just not measuring up to this person I want to be, rather than just being totally consumed with shame, it's like God is using those as opportunities for me to remember that I am desperately in need of his grace every single day of my life. And that, um, 
his love for me is completely not dependent on anything I do or don't do, but completely dependent on, you know, the finished work of Jesus. And it has brought so much rest to my life. And um, I'm just so grateful for that. And I wanted to share this story with you. Um, like I said, change is slow. I still want to jump on my kids when they spill a cup of milk in the kitchen. I still want to do that. You know, just it's such autopilot for me to want perfection out of them as well. Um, but I've had lots of different stories in mind to share. But just two weeks ago, after I had already written this whole thing, um, the whole script played out again. I was trying to get out of town one morning. And the kids, I was trying to get them to school. So this means I also had to get dressed on top of getting them dressed and out the door. And you could just feel the temperature in the house rising. And um, not only that, but I start to feel this, like, I don't know if y'all have ever felt this. I guess it's high blood pressure or something. But, like, <laughs> I start to feel like I'm, like, suffocating. And I'm just, you know, yelling at everybody. My voice changes. Everything changes in the house. And A comes up to me, and he's like what's going on? You're yelling at everybody again. Like, can I take the kids to school for you this morning? No, I got it. It's just really hard. Like, this is a lot, but I got it. And he's like, okay. And so I'm just boiling at this point. So I just go and I stand in my closet and I'm just standing there just trying to cool off and cool down. And I overhear Katie, my six-year-old, tiptoe in the bathroom. And I hear her whisper something to A. And she's looking for something she can't find and she's whispering because she doesn't want me to hear her um and my heart just broke in that moment and um I was able to go out to her and get down in front of her face and just say like Katie I'm being really mean aren't I and you know I just I need you to forgive me and um her response to me you know was she just looked at me and real nonchalantly was like Mom, it's okay. I know that you have sin in your heart just like I do. And it was like I could have squeezed the life out of her in that moment. The grace, you know, that she knows at the age of six that like her mom is a sinner in need of a savior and like that I am never going to get my act together. And I hope by God's grace that I can extend that to her and she'll know that about herself for her whole life. Um, but it was so precious and our conversations are just so different. I feel like I used to, you know, every time I would disappoint her, I would say, I'm going to get my act together and I'm so sorry I missed that field trip or forgot to send those things in. And now it's like, oh, Katie, I'm going to need so much forgiveness from you. Like your mom is such a mess who just can't get her act together. And, um, and I have so much hope in her knowing that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Um, and the verse that is on your card, y'all, I have to tell you a story about this card too, but it's, and there are cards by the door if you didn't get one, but it's from Hosea 2, 14 through 15. And, um, this painting is a dear friend of mine from Birmingham is a beautiful artist and she did this painting and I reached out to her to see if she would be willing to do a painting for my scripture card. And I told her what the scripture was. And she was like, oh, my gosh, Margaret, I did a painting yesterday called Wilderness. Um, and uh, the, the verse says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of a core a door of hope. 
and there she will answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And this is just God talking to um, his people Israel, just extending mercy to them. And that's really what I've learned the whole Testament is about is, you know, Israel screws up, they disobey God, they fail, and he extends mercy. I mean, he is a God who is so full of mercy again and again and again. And my hope is in this God, that the same mercy that God continually shows Israel, um, he is showing to me over and over again. And um, the Valley of Accor, the word Accor means trouble. This is a reference back to the book of Joshua, where um, God had brought his people into the promised land. It's the first true uh, failure or disobedience of the Lord happens here, and um, God brings his judgment down on Israel, and this man and his whole family are stoned and killed. And so I just imagine it's this place of failure and shame in Israel's history. And here God is promising to turn that into a door of hope. Um, and, you know, I've realized my hope is not in ever getting my act together. It's not in being this perfectly patient parent I want to be. It's not in being a contented newborn mom that I've never been and will not be next month when I have, you know, this baby. My hope is in Jesus. And this is just so cool, y'all. I didn't realize this till yesterday morning when I was working on this, but like John 10, the first, you know, the shepherd passage I was talking about, Jesus says twice in that passage that he is the door. And then I looked at Hosea 2, and it says, you know, that he turns our valley of accords into doors of hope. And just like, Jesus is the hope. Um, You know, some of these things I say, I'm like, duh, like this is what you've been saying since, you know, fifth grade Bible study. But for God to really, you know, teach that to me, it's been so fun even just to be in church every week. And like, um, since I wrote this out, it's like, the pastor is preaching and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's, he's telling the story. Like me too, you know? And as this has happened week after week after week, I'm like, oh, like this is everybody's story. Like this is the story of, you know, this is the good news of the gospel. That is the story for all of us. Um, so, you know, I just, I'm just so grateful that, God knows that I'm never going to get my act together, and um, he doesn't expect me to. He knows that I never will. And um, the last thing that I wanted to leave you with, this is a poem I read a long time ago, um, but it just continually um, speaks to me. And as I have been praying through the story, I continue to hear this question of, like, who am I? Like, I'm just constantly spent my life searching for a sense of identity or worth in all these different (laughs) ways. And... um, God has, is teaching me that there's a much better question um, that I should be asking myself other than who am I, and it's whose am I? And um, this poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's going back and forth saying, like, some people say I'm this. The whole poem is beautiful. You should look it up. It's called Who Am I? Uh, but he's like, some people say I'm this. Some people say I'm that. I feel like I'm this. Some days I'm that. Um, but this is how he ends. He says, who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others, and before myself, a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. So when all of my stirring starts 
um, you know, trying to find worth, trying to seek your approval, whatever it may be. Um, I feel like God has just given me such rest in changing that question from who am I to whose am I? And just knowing that um, I have a good shepherd who is looking out for me. So thank y'all for listening. Thanks for joining us today for Margaret's story. I love her transparency. You know, I've never heard anyone describe identity as having layers and an order of priority, but that's a great way to help us understand how a certain part of us can begin to dominate our lives, our thoughts and our words and our actions. And when those layers get out of order, we lose sight of who we are and more importantly, whose we are. Friends, we'll be back next Wednesday with another new story. We'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to whatever platform you use. And be sure to follow Storytellers Live on social media for the latest news and announcements. Thank you for choosing to listen to Storytellers today, and we hope that you'll join us again soon.